Welcome in to episode four of the Purdue Volleyball Podcast, Dig City. I'm the voice of the Boilermakers volleyball team, Daniel Gilman, alongside the head coach, Dave Shondell. Coach, a long weekend, a wild weekend around the nation for not just Big Ten volleyball, but all of NCAA volleyball. How are you feeling today? I'm in recovery mode. You know, it was it was a tough weekend for us, but it was a tough weekend for a lot of people that I think expected to win and, and did not, which may speak for just the overall parity and, and the development of the sport in our country because it's not all a power five in that top 25 anymore. There's some, some teams that are sneaking in there that uh, are making a name for themselves, which is, is fun. But it's just great that we've made it to our fourth broadcast because a lot of people may have been betting against. I'm not sure what the Vegas line was, but we've gotten to the fourth broadcast, and uh, hopefully that will continue. The reception has been fantastic, so we thank everyone who's listening and everyone who's been commenting and tweeting and texting us for it. So thanks so much for that. Keep on chugging along. This episode, we'll talk about the 2 and one Purdue Boilermakers and their start, along with just the, the wildness that went on around the nation in volleyball. Also talk at the end of the episode with two freshmen as I get to know the Boilers and you befriend the Boiler with Megan Renner and Maddie Chin. And we'll dive a little bit into the growth of men's and women's volleyball in the youth atmosphere and some new adjustments and uh, announcements here in the college ranks. So let's start off, Coach, and really dive into the progression of the team as you've seen from that first set against Ohio to the sweep of Ball State and then the tight five setter in the first road match of the season. Well, I'm certainly disappointed to lose a match at Notre Dame and, and not to take anything away from the Irish because I thought that they played at a at a high level. As a matter of fact, they were considerably better uh, in person than what I, I had seen on tape from them. A lot was because they, they changed their serving uh, approach. They had a couple of uh, jump topspin servers that were really effective against us. Uh, they changed their passing pattern a little bit. And in an area that I thought we would um, – probably win the battle was serve and serve receive and we did not and so taking that away from that match will be a major focus for us moving forward this week that we're going to spend a lot of time on our serving we've it's been an emphasis for us um, since last spring uh, but it did not pay off for us uh, in South Bend so we'll do a better job with that Um, you know we we got away from getting the ball to some some people that we need to include in our offense our, our m2 which is so far has been a combination of shivana catino and jl johnson they're both both very very capable but for whatever reason we kind of um, shut them out um, of the offense because we had some other people that were having great nights especially against notre dame but we've got to get those people involved into the flow more often the L2 position, which has been another area of focus, really hasn't been too bad. Uh, Emma Ellis, is a freshman, has done a really good job in the two matches that she has played. Um, Maddie Cook has been unbelievable in practice. We just haven't seen uh, – she hasn't had an opportunity to really bust it loose in a match yet. Uh, she was okay against Ohio U, but she's much better than what our fans saw. So those are a couple of areas that we've, we have to continue to improve on. And then I think with, with – um, Haley Bush just doing a little better job of of running the offense. Your setter is going to be such a pivotal person on your squad, and I think that she's been really, really good, but the expectations go higher for somebody that you know has great talent and has the experience. So I think she's going to need to just – decision-making needs to continue to, to mature. 
Bush put together her first double-double of the season against Notre Dame with 48 assists, 14 digs, 3 blocks, and 3 kills. But going into what you're talking with Shavonna Catino and J.L. Johnson and just the middle blocker position, something I was curious about, only 17% of all swings were taken by middles. So from a setter perspective, from a coaching perspective, why is that number low? How, how can you get it to the middle more? Pass better. Um, like I said, we got aced 11 times. Uh, their jump serve was creating some problems for us. They outpassed us, which we didn't think would happen. And, you know, we have to, you have to pass the ball to the target uh, reasonably well to get your middles involved in the game. And the biggest reason was it wasn't that we shortchanged Blake a whole lot. Blake had, had quite a few swings and had several kills and hit for a high percentage and had a really good match. It was by far uh, Blake's best match of the season as she's been fighting a few nicks and bruises. Um, but uh, we have to get the other middle involved as well. Blake's going to get her swings. There's not going to be any doubt about that. Uh, but we're going to have to find a way to get comfortable uh, with the other two. And, and that, that falls on them as well. they got to demand the ball. they got to be more aggressive. they got to be up faster. they got to you know, call for the ball louder. they got to tell the setter, set me the ball. You know, Those are things that they can do to help the setter understand that they're ready. And, uh, and that's a big part of it. And before we go on to talking about the national landscape, we've got the first tournament style in the last two seasons. I don't know if you've had one before I got here. I'm not sure one where you win and you face the winner of the next team, Louisville, on Friday afternoon in Nashville, and then the winner of Xavier and Lipscomb. Mental, when you're preparing for a team and then you don't know who you're going to face, this is a lot like the NCAA tournament, so it's a good preparation for the players. Oh, I think so. I, I, I'm not you know, worried about the NCAA tournament right now. Um, it's... 12 weeks away, I think. But um, quite frankly, we're just trying to get ready for Louisville. The only thing that's really on my mind as far as preparation and what we're going to get out of this so far is we're going to play Louisville. And uh, I've got them down as a top 20 team in the country. They're very talented, very athletic, young like we are in a lot of spots. But uh, they've played some good competition early, and they've been been pretty successful. The only loss to Florida, but they've beaten some really good teams on their home court. And now, like us, going to Notre Dame, they go on the road, uh, this, in this case a neutral floor at Lipscomb, to play us. But uh, they're, they're a really good team, and uh, we'll have to be ready to play them. And then win or lose, we're going to turn around and play either Xavier or Lipscomb the next day, probably in less than a 24-hour turnaround. So um, it, it'll, it'll challenge our athletes. It'll challenge our coaching staff. But I think that uh, with the schedule we're used to playing, we'll be prepared for that. The Cardinals coming off of a win at home of the Florida League Tournament. They also hosted the Cardinal Classic, wins against Western Kentucky and Arizona State for Louisville. And then this is the same three-team field that came to the Stacey Clark Classic last season. Purdue was successful, only dropped one set in those three matches. So now looking at Louisville and how the team can pass better, as you say, is it just repetition in practice? Is is there another way that, that we can, you know, see the the mindset that you want them to be at on the court, anything other than just more and more reps at practice? No, that's a great question. And you've been around our program long enough to probably understand that few teams in the country pass serve more often in practice than we do. Our passers come in 50 minutes before every, everybody else for practice to get individual uh, work done with our passing. And then we do a lot of it during the, the, the main part of practice. It, it, it may be more mental, but what we ran into against Notre Dame was those two jump surfers, top spin jump surfers that we really didn't expect to see. 
and we hadn't spent a lot of time practicing the top against top spin, and that hurt us a little bit. And Notre Dame is a is a big venue. It's like Mackey Arena. I mean, it's very similar to Mackey Arena, and so the the background is a little bit different. And um, and and we didn't pass horribly. Uh, we passed about a two one five, which which is okay. They passed a two two one, so they beat us in that category. Uh, however, the aces that they got really, you know created opportunities for them to score points obviously and uh, and that was a big factor now we have a top spinner at louisville in claire chaucey number nine the outside hitter for him so how do you replicate that in practice do you bring someone in who has a, you know a nasty top serve or do you yeah, have you, someone you, you spend you get people back there that can jump top spin it and then you have your machines that are firing top spins over the net and and we've done that some during preseason we just didn't do a lot of that in preparation for notre dame so that's probably on us for not being able to to see the future that they were going to you know unload those top spin servers on us and um but we'll that won't happen again we'll, we'll be prepared for that and again the top spin serve it is not that that tough of a serve unless you've got somebody that's just so powerful they're ripping it at 50 mile an hour over the net you should almost enjoy somebody that's going to serve that top spin because it doesn't move as much left or right like a floater it pretty much stays in line you just got to almost get in more of a defensive position and and, and a digging position and you and you play that ball It, it is not that tough of a serve but if if you haven't seen it you don't expect it um you know it, it can affect you a little bit mentally and that, that may have been part of the problem there were a couple pivotal points against Notre Dame that were lost on the joust. Is that another thing that can be practiced? Is it is it an instincts kind of thing with, with Blake up at the net or Haley jousting? Because Bush seems to have the joust down, but then some of the other players might have had a little bit of well, success. Well, it's funny that setters normally um, win a lot of the jousts. Um, maybe because of their the angle that they have. They're maybe a little bit lower. But it's the person that... that that holds and pushes last that wins the joust. So if you put a ball up, when it, and for our listeners, a joust is when a ball is a 50-50 ball on top of the net and, and two front row players go after that ball. If you push first, then the other person is going to absorb that and then push again, and you and you have nothing left because you've already had your, your push. And, uh, and setters sometimes, just for whatever reason, a lot of times setters make those plays because nobody expects them to be there. They, they don't think that they're a front row player or whatever else, and all of a sudden they're there, and it surprises the, the other blocker. But um, I'm, we'll spend some time on that, but that I don't think that had a big – what happened, the bigger part of the, of the match was when we got an overpass and we jumped and we, we hit it, and, and we're shocked that there was a blocker standing there in front of us, and that was at a 12-12 tw- in game – game five uh, that should have been our point instead it's 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 their point because they turn around and stuff us so that's a little bit different beast altogether all but just those are things you learn as you go and it's i mean our players can figure a lot of those things out on their own they don't need us to come in and spend half an hour on on you know tossing balls to figure that out so let's take some time and go around the country 15 13 of the top 25 teams lost this weekend. In the Big Ten, there were only three teams that had undefeated weeks, and it starts with Rutgers and also Stanford and Penn State. And not, then five. Not Stanford, they're not in our league. Nebraska, Nebraska and Penn yeah, State, yeah. pardon me. And then five of the top 15 teams lost twice. So now, as we take a look at the parity around the nation, does that. You know, change your ideas after a loss, or is that something that kind of you? You know, you talk to the team and you say everyone kind of lost, everyone loses. You're suggesting that misery 
loves what is it company company yeah um not really uh, i haven't got, still haven't really gotten over the notre dame loss uh, to be honest with you and it was one that we needed to win it was one that we should have won uh but notre dame just outplayed us so you know congratulations to them this this was an odd weekend there there have been some like this in the past but not very many especially in the big 10 uh normally the big 10 is going to go out and, and they might they might win 90 percent of their matches uh, on a weekend like this, but it didn't happen here. Is that a statement about the Big Ten? I don't think so. I think it's a statement about Big Ten having lots of lots of good athletes, lots of young athletes, and they're having to sort things out and get them in the right position. I'm still very confident that in four or five weeks from now that the Big Ten will be just as, as solid as ever, maybe even better than ever. Uh, but it was a tough weekend for the Big Ten Conference. And uh, when you see our my, my friend Kelly Sheffield drop two at home, uh, to Baylor and Marquette, that was a, that was a bit of a shock, and uh, I think Illinois lost a couple uh, to the Pac-12, Colorado and uh, Washington, and that was a little bit of a surprise. I'm not sure that they're 100% healthy at this point. I think they've got a player, a key player or two that are, that are out over at Illinois, but everybody's got problems as we've talked about before. But um, it, it could be, as you mentioned, a wake-up call for a lot of people, and hopefully that will be one of those programs that will respond and, and uh, benefit from a loss early in the season. There were some all-time classics on TV as well. Minnesota and Texas had one of the most exciting three-set matches you'll see, and then we were in the hotel over in South Bend watching that Wisconsin Marquette five-setter. So now taking a look at this upcoming weekend, I want to hear your take on how important pre-conference play is because it's obviously important but to what mark because Penn State gets the real test facing number one Stanford and Oregon and then Minnesota has that in reverse facing Oregon and Stanford and then obviously your bunch gets to face an NCAA tournament team in Louisville I think there's so many different ways to look at that or to to respond to that question Um, from a standpoint of just making your team better um, I think you can get that from every match, whether you're playing a top 10 team or you're playing uh, 100, team number 150. I, I think you can benefit regardless of who you're playing. But if you're trying to be a seeded team in the NCAA tournament, then you have to you have to play and beat top teams. And luckily in the Big Ten and the Pac-12 in particular, you're going to do a lot of that in conference play. So you don't have to, to go out and search for a lot of those matches in, in non-conference, but you have to have a few which is kind of what I think we've put together with Kentucky and Louisville, and and we'll see where Notre Dame ends up uh, down the stretch. But, um, you know, right now all we're trying to do is get better every day, and we have the schedule that's going to challenge us um, from now until the end of the season is over. We're going to be challenged every single weekend to perform and to find certain areas during the week that we have to improve on, and we've talked about serving and blocking and development of a couple positions, getting more consistency, and uh, and that's plenty for, for right now. And uh, but I, I really like this Louisville team. I think that they're they're maybe a surprise team. The transfer portal helped them out in a couple of situations, and then some young players as well. So uh, I think they've been a little bit of a surprise, but I've been impressed with them from what I've seen in, in the matches I've watched. They have an all-conference member in Melanie McHenry, who was named the tournament MVP last week. And then the younger sister, a name that some fans might know already in uh, Lauren Stiffren's younger sister, Amber, came off the bench to put together 10 kills and uh, grab all tournament honors at the Florida League tournament last weekend. So now let me ask you, who do you think 
one or two teams were the biggest surprise from this past weekend, whether they were upset or they pulled off some upsets? Well, I think the two teams that are making the most noise that many people probably didn't expect at this level would be Baylor and Marquette, and both at the expense of Wisconsin, um, you know, unfortunately for the Big Ten fans. But um, Baylor and Marquette have both been very, very impressive early. Baylor is undefeated. Uh, the only loss Marquette has is to Baylor. Baylor did beat them soundly uh, on Saturday. I thought that would be a, maybe another five-gamer. But uh, Marquette, who had been to BYU the week before and beat uh, beat them in their gym and then went to Wisconsin and beat Wisconsin in, the, in their gym, uh, those are two really, really tough places to go in. And Marquette did that. And then Baylor has also been on a tear. Uh, so those are, those are the two teams right now. Pitt um, – is also a top 10 team right now, but they were off the good last year, and uh, but they knocked off. I believe they beat, tell me, they beat Ohio State or Michigan State or Michigan, somebody like They beat one of our, our conference teams here recently. But those are, those are the three that are, are kind of up there that aren't traditional top 10 programs and are in there right now uh, that I would say have really um, opened some eyeballs up this season. And then who on your team has been the most impressive for you, and maybe a surprise, maybe someone you expected. Well, coming off of a loss, I you know I'm not overly thrilled with with uh, with too many people. But again, the loss was was a loss in a match that we actually probably played about a B or B minus um, level. It wasn't like we just went to pieces up there at Notre Dame. They just they found a way to take advantage of some situations. Um, but I, I think Newton's been really really good. Caitlin is a junior that. I think uh, has all the tools to have a, a, a stellar season for us. Grace Cleveland has also been, um, you know, terrific. We're putting a lot of the load on both those two. Blake Moeller uh, bounced back with a really good match. She, as I mentioned, she's not been 100%, but is, is feeling better and better. Um, Jenna Otek uh, probably having, uh, you know, her, her finest uh, stretch of volleyball since she has been here. Uh, but I guess those are the, are the four that jump out the, the most at us. Emma Ellis had a, had a great couple of matches. She's got a lot to learn, um, and her blocking has to get better uh, out there. But offensively, I thought she had a really good match, and she brings some real positive things to the team. Caitlin set a career high with 21 kills, also a new uh, self-mark with nine digs. Jenna Otek set a new career high with 23 digs. And Cleveland set a new career high in blocks with eight and digs with nine. So as we talk about, you know, the Emma Ellis and, and Maddie Cook situation, I thought it said a lot to bring in Maddie Cook in a high intensity scenario, you know, late in a set in, a, in an opportunity where Purdue, you know, needed a few points. And I think she had some good swings, only took two swings. Both of them were registered as attack errors, but one of them missed the line by an inch and the other one was maybe a touch up at the net. So I thought for what the situation came, you know, there was a lot of a lot of pressure on someone and a lot of confidence that you put into her. Well, I, I, we did put confidence in her. It was really a tough position to put a freshman in. It was in game number two. The, the score was really close. I'd gone down to, to tell her at about 15 to 15 that when Emma came up for her to go in I was going to make that substitution and give Maddie an opportunity to go out and 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 make some things happen and then when it got to that point in time it was like a 22-22 game and it was really a a tough situation to go into but like like Maddie will do she won't get cheated she went up and took really good rips at the ball hit a line shot that was 
really, really close, but I, I think it was out by about an inch. Uh, went after the hands one time, and as you mentioned, might have gotten a touch, but it was you can't see those on a challenge very easily. But uh, it was a tough situation, but a great learning experience for her. And um, like I say, she has been brilliant in practice, and uh, she's got to take that practice game into the into match mode. And then one big silver lining, Coach. We talked about it maybe in the pre-match show, maybe just talking about it, but you won not one but two challenges at Notre Dame. First time in a while. Well, I, I don't, I don't know. You're making it sound like I've never won a challenge before, but I, you know, sometimes you have to challenge just to try to slow tempo. Sometimes you challenge because you know that you feel like you've got it right. Uh, sometimes officials just can't, they just can't see it. There's not enough there to overrule it. And fans need to recognize that even in the Big Ten, where we're using a fairly decent cameras, um, and the Big Ten all uses the same setup. I mean, the Big Ten provided those uh, for the Big Ten institutions. But when it comes to touches, um, you're, it's a real risk if you're going to challenge a touch because they're just really hard to see. Although we were watching a match at Wisconsin and there was a <laughs> down official that seemed to have better eyes than everybody else in the gym. So um, that, that was really surprising that, that, that they overturned two of those where she saw touches where the TV cameras didn't even see them. So really, really impressive. And then NCAA Research came out and tweeted on September 4th, the 10 most popular high school girls sports with 10-year trends, and volleyball remains the number one high school team sport for girls. What what can you say to that? It's obviously very endearing and, and good to see you know the sport that you coach and the sport that you advocate for continuing to grow around the nation. It's just a great sport, you know, for men and women, as we're going to get into here in a little bit. But women have had the opportunity that it's been supported, you know, by um, college and high schools at a, at a really, really good level. And um, the, the, the population continues to increase. And that's good, I think, for college volleyball down the road. They're watching, you know, what our Olympic team is doing, our national team is doing. They're, they're seeing so much college volleyball now on TV because there's so many more networks that are carrying the sport. And, and it's a great spectator sport for, for people to watch whenever you come to a college match there's just hundreds of high school players that are there you know watching the matches so uh it is an exciting time for for our sport and certainly women's volleyball is is making great strides but then men's volleyball is the sport that almost forgotten i think by our country especially when title nine came in that was when a lot of uh, universities that were pushing or had men's volleyball uh they dropped it like flies when when uh, title nine came in and and it's been hard with gender equity but now uh you're starting to see a, a movement to add volleyball um certainly what people don't know about in the college level club volleyball is a monster sport. Every college in the country has a club volleyball team, and those guys are playing at a very high level. Many of our practice players are guys that play on Purdue's club team, and they're having a ball. They're having a lot of fun, uh, but they're not getting some of the rewards that uh, those guys are that are playing on varsity teams at what is probably less than 40 varsity programs right now in America for men's volleyball but we added some more and you can go ahead and talk about that a little bit yep on september 3rd on hbcugameday.com an article written by stephen gaither explored into the fact that the southern intercollegiate athletic association the siac announced the addition of men's volleyball as the league's 14th sponsored sport with a one million dollar grant from the first point volleyball foundation and usa volleyball so they're going to start in 2020 2021 
It's funded by the foundation started by John Spera, the uh, head coach of the U.S. men's national volleyball team, and then the U.S. UCLA coach as well, and then $400,000 from USA Volleyball. So as you mentioned, there aren't a ton around the nation. I know I grew up in an, in an area in Florida where you don't really even think of men's volleyball as an intercollegiate Division One sport. You think of it as more of a club sport. So it's great to see, at least in the South as well, it start to grow. Well, we're in a state where we've we've got some you know, Division One programs. You've got Ball State that has been around for a long time. Matter of fact, Ball State and Ohio State were the first two men's programs for volleyball in this country. And uh, Ball State's still doing doing very well with their funding in Indiana, Purdue, Fort Wayne, where Arnie Ball was the longtime coach, recently retired, and Loy Ball, uh, four-time Olympian, uh, was the star there. Uh, but, for example, my son Kyle is, is uh, in the process of building a, a program at Indiana Tech. And Indiana Tech's not going to be Division One, but they're NAIA. But there are a lot of, of colleges that are recognizing that by starting men's volleyball, they're adding to their um, enrollment. They're getting all these men to come in and, and, and play. And, then, and there's a lot of these smaller colleges that are hard, having a hard time just staying afloat. And uh, by starting other sports that maybe they didn't have before, it's being very helpful. But it's, it's a good day right now for volleyball, whether it's women or men. Now it's time for Fit Set with Shondell as we get to know a little bit more about this longtime head coach for Purdue. We've talked in previous episodes about what it's like growing up in the Shondell house, favorite cities to visit, you know, mm-hmm. desert island food. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to some of our previous episodes of Dig City. It's available on SoundCloud, on Apple Podcasts, on the Purdue Athletics feed. So now first question here, Coach. When you go to Nashville this weekend and you get something barbecue, What's your go-to bar? I love barbecue, so I got to ask, what's your go-to barbecue order? You know what? I, I feel like a, a good barbecue place has to have a good pulled pork. To be honest with you, I think that's kind of the uh, the measuring stick for me. You're, you're going to be able to, to to taste the barbecue. You're going to be able to taste the tenderness of the of the pork and how well it's prepared. So I will always have the pulled pork. Now I may throw some other items in there. I like the sausage. Uh, you might even, you know, have have some type of a rib, hopefully a pork rib. Um, but that's important. And I also like to see if there's an onion ring floating around there because uh, I think that goes very well with the barbecue. But I don't know, you know, what our plans are. I don't have anything to do with where we go and eat, to be to be honest with you. But uh, you'd think if you're going to Nashville, you might be able to find a, a barbecue joint. Fingers crossed we're headed to at least at least one. And I know Big Ten Network has a show about campus eats, and I've caught an episode or two that just focuses on barbecue. And suffice to say, I've noted a couple places on our road trips that we go around that have uh, notable barbecue spots that I might defer from the group. Well, let's hope that you can remember those because we're trying to find out something that you do bring to the table, and that might be something very helpful if you can can find the right places to get a good barbecue there we go that's that's my one saving grace right there <laughs> Let me, all right are you more of a beach person or a pool person uh i'm in between uh, i used to be more of a pool person but now uh i've become very happy uh at the beach i really i really enjoy the beach and we go angie and i go down uh you know two or three times a year down to the golf and um, just really enjoy leisure time on the beach and getting good meals and just taking it easy. Coke versus Pepsi. 
You know, it used to it'd be Diet Coke or Diet Pepsi, so it's not going to be the real thing. I used to be a Diet Pepsi guy, hard hardcore, and uh, now I think I've turned uh, more towards Diet Coke. Of course, at school here, uh, that's what we have. We're a Coke school, so uh, I get a lot of Diet Cokes here. But uh, unfortunately, I drink too much of, of both of them. But uh, so far, that uh, I think I would lean right now more towards Diet Coke than Diet Pepsi. To the good side, the Coke side. Mm-hmm. And then last question here, what's the best show you've seen on television in 2019? Mm. Uh, I don't have the name for it, but you probably do because you're a, a TV um, guy. My favorite TV show to watch all the time, okay, is American Pickers, which would probably fry some people's mind to think that that's what I'm going to watch. But I like American Pickers because I don't have to think very much when I watch it. You know, I can come home and I can be thinking about other stuff. I can be watching stuff on my laptop. I can be watching tape. I can be doing other things, and American Pickers is still going on. It's a funny, funny show. If you haven't watched it, you need to, to watch it a little bit. But um, what's the, the QB show on Netflix? What's what was what's the title for that? QB1. QB1. Uh, at first, I thought that might be a little flaky, but um, that has gotten to be a, a pretty good show. And I, I think you can draw some things from that show uh, to help you uh, as a coach and working with today's athletes. Yep, it chronicles the, the process and the years for senior quarterbacks, usually picking two to three you know, top quarterbacks around the country in their high school senior year. It's been three episodes on Netflix. I watch it all, too. Three seasons, I three should seasons. say. Yeah, good and I've watched it, too. Thanks so much, Coach. You're it's, welcome. Uh, it's always been a pleasure. He's Dave Shondell, the heart, brains, and passion behind Purdue Volleyball. So now it's time to befriend a boiler. Every episode, I'll be sitting down with one of the stellar student-athletes so you can better get to know them. Today, we have a pair of the new freshman class. We'll start with the setter from Iowa, Megan Renner. Megan, how have your uh, first few months been here in West Lafayette? They've been amazing. Um, they've been more than I even thought they would be. It's been really great to get here, especially over the summer. Um, we got to take two classes, which was really nice to get to know the campus. We did weightlifting, open gyms, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we got to know the girls really well. So that transition part from high school to college was really nice over the summer. And now we're about a month into our season, and that's been amazing. Um, the level of play is just phenomenal compared to all the other experiences I had in the past, so I'm really excited. What about the location? How is Indiana different than Iowa? Not at all, <laughs> if I'm going to be quite honest. it That's a huge reason why I chose here as well, just because it feels so much like home, and the people from Indiana are just about the same as the people from my hometown, so it's really comforting here. All right, so if you were stuck on a desert island and you could have <laughs> one meal, as much food as you want, just one meal, what would it be? My mom makes this really good, it's called an easy good hot dish, and it's like meat, cheese, and those Pillsbury croissant rolls on top, and then she always makes it with like a big fresh bowl of fruit, and that's like my favorite meal of all time. <laughs> wow, Mama Runner's going to have yeah. to make a trip out here. How about pregame rituals? Do you have any superstitions before you play? Um, yes, I can't have more than three bobby pins in my hair. Otherwise, I'll play really bad or we'll lose. That's like my one ritual. <laughs> Why three? Is it just something you picked it, up? Yeah, because one time I put more than that in there, and we just played horrible on my club team or my school team, and it was just bad. So that's kind of what it is now. <laughs> so talking about club or high school, what's your best volleyball memory? For school, it was definitely when we made it to the state tournament for the first time for our school in six years. And then we carried that streak on for the next two years. 
and made it to the semifinals for those years, which was really cool. And for club, it was my 17th year. We placed third in the nation at nationals, which was an awesome feeling. So aside from going to the Olympics for volleyball, (laughs) what did you want to be when you were little? Funny enough, I wanted to be either a teacher or I wanted to be a professional dancer on Dancing with the Stars. (laughs) That's what I wanted to be when I was little. And what's your major here at Purdue? It is... Uh, pre-professional health sciences on the physician assistant track so it's very different than either of those two so now what if you could choose anything Mm -hmm. to do after graduation what would your dream job be um a physician assistant in either women's health or pediatrics now why did you pick purdue the people here is the main reason why i fell in love with the school the first off like the coaching staff has been here for 17 years And, I mean, you don't find a bond like that anywhere else in the country. I mean, Dave and John are brothers and Kat's basically their family. And they're just such a close-knit group that you couldn't ask for any better relationship between coaching staff and their players like that. And then another huge reason why I came here was through my recruiting process, I really got to know the players that I'd be playing with really well. And that just hooked me here. There was no, like, they say you have that moment where you just know – And I went on a visit here and I went to a game. I got to spend the night with one of the players and like at her dorm and just see like how life was here. And the next morning I went into Dave's office right before I left and I committed just because I knew in that moment. Yeah. How was your first Purdue football experience last week? It was insane because it wasn't my first one, actually. When I was recruited here, it was kind of when the program was starting to turnover a little bit and they're trying to get some new recruits in so when I first came it was maybe only filled about three rows and so to go last weekend and just see the place packed was really really cool is there a song Megan or a singer that you like to listen to to pump yourself up before a match I like Migos before a match that's about and then last question which city are you most excited to road trip to this season I'm really excited to go to Nashville actually this upcoming weekend just because I haven't been there in so long But I'm really excited to see Penn State this year. I think that'll be a really cool place. All right. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Our second player profile is with Maddie Chin, the outside hitter from Michigan. So Maddie, what has your freshman year been like so far? Uh, It's been really exciting. Uh, We got here June 9, so we've been working hard since then. And now that we're in season and everything's kind of getting going, we're like really excited to, I know the upperclassmen have been doing a great job of like implementing what their like gym culture is and making sure we follow all that and it's been a great time so what were a couple reasons why you picked Purdue honestly it was because of the people here from coaches to the staff to the girls like that like stood out to me the most I could tell like the team chemistry they had like on and off the court was the same that I know like other schools in my opinion didn't really have and I just think that was like a really important factor and just how the girls got along too. And then obviously in the Holloway, um, the atmosphere that like the band brings and all the like boiler box and all the fans and how it's like sold out every, practically every time. It's really awesome and you can't find that often. Yeah, I know my first match there, I was blown away. So now if you were stuck on a desert island, Maddie, and you can only have one meal, oh, what gosh. would it be? Um... That's a good question. I'd say steak and sweet potato fries. Just, I wasn't a big fan of sweet potatoes before I came, but you know, the dining hall changes that for you here. All right, so now heading into a match, do you have any pregame rituals or superstitions? 
Um, I have to have my shoes like super tight. Like I have narrow feet as it is. So my shoes literally look, if you look, they look like clown shoes because the laces are like so far like together. Um, and I probably retie them like every water break or every chance I can. And it's really bad, but I just don't like to slip inside of my shoes. Whether it's, you know, high school or club, what's your favorite volleyball memory? Um, my favorite volleyball memory would probably be... Winning states my junior year, it's kind of basic, but I just thought like, go like it was an awesome experience. It's kind of not everybody gets to do that, obviously, and just I like loved the girls on my team too, so that made it more enjoyable as well. Now speaking from someone who has never won a state championship, it's not basic to ever say that that's <laughs> your favorite memory. There's there's no problem there at all. What did you want to be when you were little? Um, when I was little, I wanted to be a dentist ever since like I can remember and I still like that's what I'm planning on doing so I think I decided that when I was like literally eight and I've stuck with it but we'll see that's fantastic so what's like your technical major here um right now I'm majoring in I'm in the college of science and majoring in biology but I'm thinking of switching to the health and human sciences college and majoring in um pre-professional pre-dentistry because it just gives me more like science classes instead of just strictly biology which i think i'm gonna enjoy more and for like the dentist route that helps too is classes and everything around college what you thought it would be how is it different um yeah i think it's what i thought it would be i thought at first i thought i'd have a lot more time for netflix and just relaxing but obviously that's not the case especially in season which i mean it's better but um I take naps when I can. That's a big thing that I've learned. Like, I can fall asleep really quickly, which is a skill. Um, So I can take, like, 15-minute naps in between (laughs) classes or practice or something like that. So, yeah, it keeps me busy, which I love. What are a few artists or songs that you love to listen to to pump you up before a match? Um, (laughs) I enjoy listening to Young Thug and Boogie with Dodie. (laughs) And which city are you most excited to go to on a road trip this season? Hmm. Well, part of me is just really excited to go back to, like, Michigan, Michigan State, because, like, I know I'll have a lot of friends and family that I'll get to see at that game. Um, but, yeah, I'm also excited to go to Nashville because um, I think it would be a cool environment, and we don't go to, the like, south very much. Well, that'll be nice because yeah. Michigan's during Thanksgiving, too, so you'll be yeah. able to see your family around holiday time. I know. Time. They have no excuse. <laughs> and last, do you have any goals that you've set for yourself in your years at Purdue? Uh, yeah, definitely. I'd say, like, academically, just kind of, like, keep being on, like, a good path, being organized. And then for volleyball-wise, I'd say um, being a great teammate. I think that's, like, really important from, like, my parents have really um, – told me like taught me a lot about that and same with my coaches just how I've grown up that's a big factor and I think any sports team so doing that and just help I want to be a big leader for this team whether it's this year through my senior year and so just like leading them um to victory and just a lot of success is a big goal of mine what's the chemistry like for this freshman bunch I mean you guys are so tight <laughs> oh gosh we we're so close I love it like this like that was another big thing like when I committed there is only Megan and I but I was so glad, like, everybody else joined along. Um, it was really exciting. Like, we are so fun together. Um, 
there's never like a boring moment with us six. All right, thanks so much. Yep, thank you. That'll do it for this episode. The 23rd ranked Boilermakers have a date in Music City with the 22nd ranked Louisville Cardinals on Friday afternoon. Until next time, I'm Daniel Gilman, and this is Dig City Purdue Volleyball.